We are back. Thanks for joining us. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I'm so grateful to have you guys join me today. I have an amazing guest. Her name is Tiffany Rosenhan. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. And I also want to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me and and helping get the word out to this podcast. It's really uh, got some traction out there and it's helped a lot of people and the responses have been overwhelming positive and and, and and I'm just so grateful for it. A little uh, background on Tiffany and I'm so excited to have her on. Uh, she was referred by a, a mutual friend of ours uh, and uh, I was just, when I found out about what she's doing and how she lives her life, I'm just pumped to have, you, have her on. You guys are gonna really be inspired with her. So Tiffany um, is the debut author of a young adult spy thriller, Girl From Nowhere, which if I understand correctly, sales are going great and Sure things, hope are, so. <laughs> things are taking off, right? Uh, she's a mother of four young daughters and has a degree in political science. She loves to travel the world with her children and her husband, who is a critical care physician, and she resides here in Mill Creek, Utah. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, and you grew up back east, right? And so let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. Tell us about growing up back east. Great. Well, it was born in Ohio, which, you know, some people call the Midwest. I guess that's not Utah, back east. Yeah. Like, you know, we were that no, to me does. <laughs> we were the northeast corner of Ohio. So my dad's uh, family had a dairy farm that they had for a couple hundred years. And right. um, so I was born in Ohio. And even after we moved from Ohio when I was about four, we still returned every summer to go see, visit the farm. Oh, so okay. it always felt like home yeah. to me for a long period of time. Nice. Then, yeah. So I had kind of an idyllic childhood um, my first few years, a lot of playing outdoors and just a lot of creating. My parents were big into, my mom at least was big into having us create. Create and stuff. That was a big part and, of my childhood. Yeah, so, and, and I think, we, you know, we've talked before about how they, you know, pushed you to read a lot, right? Right, right. Like my sister, my, I have an identical twin sister, which is, when people ask me about myself, it's almost <laughs> always the first thing I say because more often than not, they've met my twin sister and they assume they know me and I just have to clarify a little bit. So I have an identical twin sister and, um, my parents divorced when I was young, so we spent time going back and forth and going, um, my sisters and I, going to visit the dad, my dad's family farm. And my grandma always had a rule, you could you could read, embroider, sew, which were two <laughs> different things for her. Right. <laughs> embroider, sew, um, cook, or play outside. Those were the five only options. That but was it. That's it. That's all we could do after we did our <laughs> tours. So we had a lot of, we, my childhood involved a lot of reading. And even at my own home, um, all year round, we didn't watch much television. In fact, I don't even remember watching television. Really? I was almost in junior high and high school. My mom wow. would rent VHS tapes if we were to watch anything. And, um, and so uh, TV wasn't a big part of my life, but reading was. And my okay. mom had this rule. We would go to the library, and I can't remember the limits, but... We each had our, our limit from the library and we could just collect any books we wanted. There was My mom did not choose for us. She did not encourage us. She just said, fill up the bag with books that interest you. So we'd come home with books on you know space technology that were way too advanced <laughs> for us to understand right, yeah. or <laughs> crime thrillers that were way too morbid. But overall, I think I loved that it taught us to take charge of our own reading yeah. and encourage us to read what interested us and ultimately um, discover new uh, topics that were interesting to us. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. As a kid, did it feel, was it hard to not watch TV? Or did you not know any different? I didn't know and any you different. Just didn't even, I mean, it was this is like was, the 90s. I just right. think I didn't know any different. <laughs> like I remember staying home from school once. My mom worked, so she was gone. And I remember like Jenny Jones was on and Ricky Lake. And I was like, what are these shows and who are these people? <laughs> like it was Lake. like... 
It was like eye-opening that this world existed. But I don't think my mom had anything against TV. We just never had it on. I just think right. it didn't interest her. And it was, you know, pre-Netflix, pre-TiVo. So yeah. and she worked uh, after my, I was about eight or nine. So I think it just wasn't on during the daytime. So we read instead. Or uh-huh. we created I, all different things. What, what did you gravitate towards as you, you know, were reading a lot? What did you love? What did you end up loving reading? I feel like I went through phases. I loved, I always loved encyclopedias. <laughs> so my... <laughs> That's interesting. At my grandma's house. In fact, both <laughs> grand, sets of grandparents were voracious readers. So my, my dad's parents, um, they had run a dairy farm for years, but they'd all gone to, to the Ohio State University. And my grandma had been a school teacher before she settled down with six kids. And so her house was full of books. And she just seemed to collect atlases and encyclopedias. And there were these great collections. And my favorite one was this illustrated version from like the 1960s. And it's funny how you retrospectively look back at these things that spark your interest. And I remember reading these encyclopedias and focusing on this one country I couldn't pronounce, which was Czechoslovakia. Uh-huh. And she says, well, that's no longer a country. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean it's no longer a country? And she's like, well, it no longer exists. And I couldn't process why it no longer existed. And this was obviously mid-90s and Czechoslovakia had dissolved into two countries, right, Czech yeah. Republic and Slovakia. But as an eight-year-old, I couldn't process how a country just no longer just decides exists. yeah I'm like did it disappear did it fall <laughs> into the earth what happened and so it's like Peter's I gravitated toward and it's you know those simple snippets of information interested me and I just gravitated toward those so encyclopedias and then my mother's father had a huge library built on the on his property I guess you could say and it was just literature he loved literature right and he was French Swiss so a lot of it was in French but I think both my grandparents and therefore both my parents were huge readers and it didn't matter what, um, it was all interesting. And so I never had boundaries um, with, maybe I should have, I feel like a lot of read, I read a lot of mature <laughs> stuff when I was young, but yeah. I never had a lot of boundaries with reading. Although my favorite author I flew through in about the seventh grade was Mary Higgins Clark. <laughs> really? And she wrote these, okay. I don't know if you call them crime mysteries or murder mysteries, but yeah. they were, uh, they, I love the way she intrigued me. That was that was very interesting to me the way she just set the pace of the story and yeah, Tom Clancy I love Tom Clancy I don't know why I read well so it's kind of kind of the same uh, what you did with your book which we're going to get into in a right. minute right <laughs> kind of went down that path a little bit right yeah so I can't wait to to know more about that but oh, let's okay. I want to ask you what's it like being an identical twin it's awesome it's funny I don't know any different <laughs> obviously you pull that just a little closer to you there we go there we go Perfect. I don't know much different um, or any different really but. When you have an identical twin, you kind of get to share your life with someone from the beginning. Uh-huh. And it's, I think everything I experience is by default different than what other people would experience. Yeah. You, know, you go to a new school, you make new friends, you have a boyfriend, you fail an exam, you do these things. And with an identical twin, you just don't feel alone. And yeah. so it's kind of a great, I never, I never had the loneliness, I guess, in my childhood that other people might experience. And in fact, my oldest daughter, who's 13 now, a couple years ago, she was really frustrated with me. And I can't even remember the situation. All I remember her saying was, you just don't know what it's like to be a single person. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's true. I don't. I don't yeah. have a lot of yeah. compassion for that because I simply cannot process. I went through my entire life being one of something. Yeah. And so having been to many, many schools throughout my childhood and a new school every you know, 6, 12, 18 months, I always had a friend. So yeah. I didn't have the same experience attending the schools that sure. you would, you know, that my older younger sisters did and the others would have. So I felt a little like I 
I went a certain route through school, but I wasn't affected in the same way because I had my twin sister. Yeah, I kind of felt safe. Like yeah, you had someone absolutely. by your side at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, where a lot of kids go, Yeah, I'm by myself, here we go. Yeah, so and with that's a twin, you're nice. not by yourself. So. Yeah, right on. It's awesome. I wish so, everyone could try it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so growing up, what were some of the, your experiences that really stand out to you? You know, maybe some lessons that your parents taught you and things like that. Um, We had a lot of freedom growing up. I would say we were allowed to explore a lot. Um, In the summer times, we just had, we didn't do structured activities. I had very few extracurriculars. And this was back in the time that, you know, even if you didn't play competition soccer, you could still, you know, play soccer. Still play, right, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we didn't do a lot of the extracurriculars. And I just remember a lot of freedom. And I remember, I feel really fortunate that my parents encouraged us to be outside a lot. That was a huge component of my childhood was being outside. And we, you know, if we lived in a house near like a canal or a creek or a ditch, we were always in the water and we were always building forts and we were always <laughs> doing stupid stuff. I probably would not want to let my kids to do, but you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd dam up the yeah. river and tube down the river. And oh, I just, nice. we had a lot of freedom in my childhood. And I think what I want for my own kids is I feel as though freedom and playing outside um, mm-hmm. teaches you to solve problems and it teaches you to ask the right questions. And it, if you're with people, it teaches you to collaborate and compromise. Yeah. And I... I want my children to have those same experiences because I feel like the lessons I learned with free play throughout my childhood have enabled me um, to solve problems as an adult. Mm, interesting. And so that's been important in my in my life, and I'm really grateful that my parents encouraged us to kind of have a lot of a lot yeah. of free play outside. And now you're passing that on to your four daughters. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it, especially now in today's age with the phones and social right. media, how that can consume right hours and hours of a day instantaneously. Right. Yeah. Versus like what you were doing, you know, you were reading, you were being creative, mm-hmm. you're out playing, doing those things. And, right. you know, I saw something, uh, uh, a study, this was a few, several years ago, actually, where young, young, it was about young boys growing up who they don't know how to throw a, a baseball. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they attributed it to because they're inside okay. playing video games most mm-hmm. of the time versus right. back when I was growing up, too. We were right. outside throwing the ball. Totally. So it's cool that you are still trying to incorporate that with your own children. I'm trying, but it's not easy. I know. Because, <laughs> uh, and that's not the general consensus. For and, sure. You know, I, yeah. I tell my girls most often I want them to recognize and begin to acknowledge the personal reward they feel having done an activity or created right. something, you know, draw, you know, make a coloring page or, you know, create their own story or build a fairy house outside. Those things are rewarding and we feel success after achieving them. Whereas yeah. time spent in technology, while it might be appealing at the time, you don't feel anything once you finish it. Right. At least I don't. And so I'm trying to re- teach them and myself included to recognize those personal reward that you feel, the personal reward you feel playing outside and yeah. being in the fresh air and building or creating or reading. And it's a different feeling than you feel after being on a phone or on right. you know, Absolutely. Type of social media. So. Yeah, you know, that that's a good point. I think the, the how you feel differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, it's almost like social media drains you to the point where you're, yeah. it actually even kind of hurts. Right. Does that make right. sense? 100%. Yeah. And you feel invigor, and I feel invigorated. I mean, I might feel tired and fatigued after playing outside, but I feel personally invi- exactly. invigorated. Right. And that's kind of the balance. So, and I'm right. not saying we have no technology. I mean, we love a good movie as much as anyone. But sure. In general, I've always really limited 
and that's simply because I never had it. And yeah. we can I couldn't even afford a cell phone when they came out. So like I just I think I came late to the ball game <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so what were some of the principles that your parents taught you growing up as a kid? You know, what were some of the things they expected of you? Yeah. Well, um, that's a good question. So both my parents grew up in very I would say my parents grew up in very different households from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's household, he joined the LDS church when he was in his 20s. Okay. And his household was uh, non-denominational Christian. I think they might have been Methodist at one point, but very, um, let's call them loose Christians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they went to church every Sunday, but they weren't uh, sure. They weren't Bible studying or anything yeah. of the sort. And then my mom's family was just, my mom's, her mom went on a religious search and went through every religion that Southern California had to offer and they eventually settled on the LDS church for a time and my mom ended up staying in the LDS church even though the rest of the family never stayed didn't stay long I could say okay um, some of the family stayed but they both taught me core values of being kind if there's like one mm-hmm. word that reflected what they ultimately believed about our purpose on earth is to be kind to other people and they really took that commandment seriously to love thy neighbor as thyself um, so they always taught me no matter what else, if you're not kind to your neighbor and your family members, then nothing else you're doing is super relevant. Right. And it doesn't necessarily harken back to a certain religion or religious principle other than just treating others the way you want to be treated. Right. That was super important to them. And I'm very, I consider myself very religious and very faithful and I consider both my parents the same way, but, um, the lessons I learned from them were most were simple and un- they were untethered to a specific denomination. It was yeah. Be kind. If you're not kind, right, you're not doing it right. Right. So no, I'm trying to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what I know of you already, you know, and, and if people knew the background of, you know, what's happened the last few days with us, you've been very kind. No uh, worries. So no I worries. Techn- technology is not my favorite. So. Oh, it really good. is not my favorite either. This is where mm-hmm. I wish I had the assistant in that. But uh, so, ha- is that something you've passed along to your own children? I would assume you have. I just. I sure hope how's so. How's that been going? <laughs> I will yeah. say nothing makes me more angry than they're when then they they are mean to each other, right. someone else, or they say unkind things because I feel like that's there's so little we can control. And the way we treat and communicate to others is something we should be able to control. Right. And so I lose my patience much more easily when they when they act unkindly and it's very obvious. Yeah. Just because there's not an excuse for it in so many for so many ways. And right. sometimes I try to say, I understand that your feelings are hurt or I understand that you felt this way, but it's not excusable. We can't treat each other that way. Yeah. Um, and we have to try really hard because I think sometimes our natural inclination is to be and I catch myself the same way, to be prove your point or to give an insult or to act in a way that proves that you're right. And that's right. just not always okay. the end result that I want. So that's awesome. And one of the questions I have around that is, and, and this is a big question I know, but how is that principle like blessed your life? Just Ooh. living that way. And I know that's a big question. That's but a great question. I would um, just love to hear your perspective on that. I feel as though I'm really appreciative when people act kindly. Like I think mm-hmm. of, how do I say this? Um, I'm receptive to when people want to act kindly. I feel as though I, forgiveness is so, can be complicated and also super simple at the same time. Yeah. And I, I want to share an act of kindness. So yeah. my husband had a stroke 18 months ago and mm, wow. he came home. Yeah, he had a stroke and he had brain surgery and our mutual friend, yeah. um, so she's a hairdresser and she's amazing. And he came home from the hospital and he 
had had a huge brain surgery so a few days later and yeah they come they sent him home from the hospital a little bit early and he ended up going back but when they sent him home he wasn't like cleaned off at all and so oh, our, wow. our mutual friend came over and she like gave him a haircut because they'd shaved like half of his head yeah and it was you know there was like 28 huge staples in his head oh, and it wow. was messy yeah and i didn't want to touch anything because it's scary and i didn't For know sure. how to cut his hair and so she came <laughs> over and she just like yeah. cleaned them all up and it was such a simple act of kindness that meant so much in such a stressful time. And to her, it meant almost nothing. <laughs> and it yeah. was using what I loved about it is she used her skill set as a hairdresser to show so much compassion toward someone who'd had such a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And I mean, we laugh about it because she just jokes that she doesn't even remember almost in a way. <laughs> Yeah. And for us, it was huge. And so I think sometimes we act in really significant ways that are memorable and other times it's super simple. Right. So I hope that um, I'm re and at the, to my point of being receptive is when someone wants to serve you in that regard or extend an act of kindness, it's easy to say, no, it's OK. I know how to do this. It's harder to say, I really don't know what I'm doing. Yes. Thank you for helping. Thank yeah. you for offering to help. Thank you for extending um, yourself and your, you know, your service to me. Yeah. So that's, I think, part of it as well is receiving kindness as much as extending it. For sure. What a beautiful story. And, you know, I can only imagine what a traumatic time <laughs> that was for you and your husband to go through that and for your whole family. Right. And then something as simple as, like you said, a you know, getting a haircut, <laughs> getting cleaned up like that. But right. how, you know, how you just felt, man, the, you know, the love that uh, Cicely, we'll say her name, Cicely, yeah. shout out to Sorry, Cicely. Sorry, Cicely. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted your name claimed you're, or not. You're, you're on here now. Um <laughs> But, you know, how that, you know, just it's probably something you both needed in that moment, actually, just right. that feeling of, of love and compassion. Right. And I'm right? super appreciative for her. And I think she does it. The thing I love about Cicely, and I'm going to use her as an example, is when people act kindly and they are service oriented, they tend to just do it. Right. And they tend not to wait for permission or this grant gesture right. or yeah. um, finding out how to act. They just they just do it. And yeah. that's something I think I could certainly learn from, and we all could, is For just sure. acting in a way that, yeah, you know, maybe puts you out of your comfort zone a little bit sometimes, or <laughs> yeah. other times just you share what you already yeah. know and you share your skill and your expertise and your your skill set. And, and I, I don't mean skill set, technical skill set. I mean, if you are, if you know how to do something, you're capable of doing something, that's a right. skill. And so sharing that with others. That's awesome. Very cool. Beneficial for all of us. If it's okay to ask, how yeah. how's your husband doing? Is he's he doing, doing okay? great. Yeah, Good. he's doing really well. So Good. it's been a long recovery, but I mean, all things considered, we're super grateful for how far he's come. And yeah, it's it's a long. I mean, the strokes. It was a big hemorrhagic stroke and a big brain surgery. So he's yeah. really doing fantastic. That's and, awesome. You know, it's been a long recovery but overall yeah. we're really happy glad so. to hear that glad yeah so thank you you're, yes, yeah, you good. i'm not super emotional about it i just think certain certain moments sure. during that time period sure. kind of bring me back to what i felt then but what i felt then was ultimately peace i never felt afraid really um no i didn't i didn't feel afraid i felt as though everything whatever outcome we'd reach was going to be the right outcome it's gonna and be that okay. was a super comforting feeling yeah. So it didn't scare me as much as nothing really. It was equally scary and beautiful. Yeah, at the same time. At the same time. Yep. 
I've heard that before with yeah. other people going through something like, well, I just felt right. I felt at peace that it was going to work out the way it needed right. to. And I love that. I was okay. Well, there's like know? that Bible verse without sorrow, you don't know true joy. And I feel yeah. like sometimes those moments of desperation enable you to see something incredibly powerful and beautiful. Wow. So without those deep moments, you wouldn't experience the joy that comes with it. So. Dang. Very, yeah, very well said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very well said. Well, so you um, you graduated from the University of Utah, yes. is that correct? In yes. political science, yep. is that correct? Tell us a little bit about that, and then and then I want to get into your book. Here. Oh, okay. Well, so I gravitated toward political science. I'd always been interested in encyclopedias, I should say. <laughs> I'd been interested in geography is what it really was in okay. the world. I mean, like yeah. I said, I read those atlases. I always point to Czechoslovakia as like my aha moment. And what yeah. is this? What is diplomacy? I used to call it the trifecta, diplomacy, <laughs> geography, and politics. Yeah. And that yeah. intrigued me. And it always it always had from that point on. And I was at Skyline High School. And they must have had a career fair of some type mm-hmm. where in the assembly, an individual spoke representing the Hinckley Institute of Politics. And when they spoke, they discussed what the Hinckley Institute did and what uh, internships I'd offered and et cetera. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I thought it was a great pathway to going to graduate school and sure. possibly teaching or going to law school. I wasn't quite sure where I would end up. Although at the time I really thought I would join the foreign service or the CIA, mm-hmm. which I did neither of, <laughs> <laughs> but that was a great uh, lead into those career paths. So as soon as I got to the university of Utah, I just went straight into the political science program and that enabled me to finish pretty quickly and I loved it. I, I thought all the material was really interesting to me and I loved studying it and researching it. And I was notorious for writing really, really long essays because I just didn't know when to stop. <laughs> right. So you've obviously loved writing and all that stuff. And I have, but it's, it's funny. Like I'd always written nonfiction until until after I had my daughter, my oldest daughter, Savannah, and I was home alone with a baby, kind of like, well, this is kind of easy. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Having a ba- one baby, I mean, having a teenager is hard, but having a baby was not hard for me. Right. <laughs> so as I was home, I started creatively writing and it was bizarre because it was as though I'd always, I'd been missing it my whole life mm-hmm. because I'd written a lot, but I'd written based on literature and nonfiction yeah. and I never pursued creative writing for myself. And so I, I'm appreciative of all my years writing nonfiction because I think it taught me a lot about structure and yeah. having facts. And even if you're making up the facts in a fiction story, they need to be facts for the story. Okay. And so, yeah. um, they taught, it taught me a lot about how to construct a story. And so I was able to translate that to fiction. But when I started writing creatively, I felt as though I'd been missing it my whole life. And it was kind of fun right. to like find yeah. it in a way. <laughs> so I, I credit political science a lot with that you do a lot of writing in that course. Right. So, so have you, you know, I want to talk about your book, uh, the girl from nowhere. And have you always in your back of your mind, like, like always did you, did you set out to, like, I want to write a book someday? No, I wish I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. And I think had I would have maybe gone through the process differently or faster. But right. I didn't know what I was doing. I did, like I said, I just wrote for fun. I had, a, right. I, I consider myself first and foremost a reader before I consider myself okay. an author. Yeah. And love that. I want to write what I want to read. And mm. I never set out with a book or a title or a page count or a genre or to get published. I just didn't know enough about that. Mm-hmm. And it really was really far off my radar. It was, okay. it always seemed like if I write a book, then maybe I'll get published. And right. ne- I never thought, which I think I should have, I will write a book to get published mm. because then you can make a few different decisions. And I went the long circuitous route through yeah. writing. 
which I'm glad I did because it enabled me to really create this huge story that I was able to deconstruct <laughs> into one small story. Right. So I have a lot more material about Girl From Nowhere, obviously. And I feel as though the years I gained just writing for fun enabled me to create this world okay. that maybe had I just wanted to write one book to publish it, I would have missed out on a lot of that. So Interesting. Yeah. I think whatever people ask for writing advice and becoming a published author, and I think there's no right or wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. I, but I also advise people not, it's almost as though you shouldn't publish too soon because sometimes that time that you mull over something and ruminate over it can get you farther than you might have thought right. the first time around yeah or you might want to write it differently or yes. add this uh -huh. or i should probably take yep. that out but and if, there are a lot of ways to yeah. publish and so you can publish pretty quickly if you want to but sometimes yeah. that's maybe not the best end result for the story yeah um, but at the same time some people are really gifted and they can just make it happen the first time <laughs> yeah. around so i'm not one of those people <laughs> oh no well so you i love what you said you you want to write what you would read right that's a good way to say that and and I, it's probably why this is a spy thriller <laughs> right <laughs> exactly so tell us well what i mean by that is i i yeah. like to when i read i like to be entertained <laughs> intrigued okay. or informed okay and i when i when this character started to evolve in my head which she did for a very long time i wrote it first as almost just a simple coming of, coming of age story mm -hmm. about this character that lived abroad and she's finally making herself home here and it it just fell a little flat it wasn't it wasn't enough and it never felt like her true story it always felt like i was setting her setting up her future story okay and it was when i realized her future story was this story that things started to come together where it became much more fast-paced and action-oriented and a lot more fun and it's not that I won't read books that are slow. I read a lot of very slow books and I enjoy them immensely. Yeah. But for a book in this genre to be slow, I just don't think that would work. It wouldn't work. And yeah. so sure. I knew I had to, by default, forfeit a lot of what I wanted to keep and, um, and really rework a lot of what I, or even write what needed to be there in order to make it work as a gotcha. thriller. And that was fun to do. I mean, I like the research involved. Um, but yeah, when, when I say I want to read what I want to, I write what I want to read, I mean that I want to enjoy a story. And if I'm reading a book regarding an issue or an interesting mm -hmm. topic that I want to learn about, I'm more patient. Right. But if I'm reading to be entertained, I want to be entertained. Okay. And so I hope the book's entertaining and that's sure. kind of what it's meant to be. Um, it's not an issue book, which in young adult fiction can kind of be problematic. They really like to f sometimes focus on topics and issues. Yeah. And mine's not an issue book, and it doesn't have um, doesn't have a a certain genre to like that it just falls right into. It doesn't okay. fit tidily within a genre. Yeah. There's not a lot of spy thrillers in young adult fiction. There's very few, and so already it's categorized as an action thriller romance. <laughs> okay. So it's a little tricky in that yeah. regard, but ultimately <laughs> I think it's okay to be different and sure, it's outside the yeah. box, and it doesn't. I have no problems that it doesn't fit tidily within this genre. Right. Okay. It's a little bit more mature in some regards and at the same time it's PG and clean. So it oh, hopefully checks awesome. those boxes a little For bit. For sure. That's very cool. Well, why don't you tell us, um, you know, maybe how did you come up with the title and, uh, you know, maybe a little background, a little bit more background on the book itself. And then if, if we can, I mean, oh yeah, we don't have the book. Well, do I might we? be able to pull it out. I might be able to pull up the first chapter, which is a good one. If, if possible, yep, if we were going to maybe one. read something from it. If we can, great. If not, um, obviously, we'll, we're going to direct our listeners to getting the book. Um, 
but yeah, just maybe tell us how you came up with Great. with the name. Um, so the title, <laughs> I actually sold the book to my agent and my publisher. Well, I sold it to my publisher as Hummingbird. And that was the original really? title. Yeah. And so my okay. my publisher <laughs> thought maybe that wasn't going to work with the genre. And so they um, recommended Girl From Nowhere. So I didn't, I didn't actually end up choosing that. I mean, I, I, I agreed with them, but... Um, the title just kind of fit the story, and so we went yeah. with that one. So, and that's one of the titles things. are hard to choose for an author. They are, yeah. <laughs> and and is that one of the things like when you go with a publisher? A lot of times they're the ones that will, at times, dictate. Here's what we think the title should be. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I think the it, benefits or? of going with a traditional publisher, and it's particularly a really big one like Bloomsbury, is they have a great team of um, people on your book. And so I can be a little more hands off and they take. Okay. And so I think they're respectful of my opinion as an author. Sure. I get approval. I get, you know, I discuss it, but I think uh, they view it from a marketing perspective and how does, and particularly a book selling perspective. How does this, when you have a certain title and a certain genre, do those mesh and does it confuse the reader? And okay. so I think they have a lot more goes into it than sure. I would initially presume. So <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm yeah. defensive of my title and yeah. I may think it's the best title, but really, is it the title that will work for the general public to receive the book? Yeah. They know that better than I do, probably, or maybe they don't. I don't know. I assume they do. Sure. So Hopefully. I, in, some <laughs> in some regards, you yeah. feel like it's, it's. I think it's when they give advice, usually it's based on experience and they want right. to sell something um, as accurately as possible. So I was fine to switch it up. I, I knew actually when I sold it, I thought for sure they would change the title because... The title works really well um, on an almost not philosophical, but on a on a different level within the book, Hummingbird. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't sell kind of the story of the book. Gotcha. So okay. it's more it's more just like if it was a piece of literary fiction, Hummingbird would be perfect. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's how the title came to be. So then we went with Girl from Nowhere, and there's that. It's funny. There's actually a few Girl from Nowheres floating around, but mine's the only one by Tiffany Rosenhan. So yes, that's how you know the difference. <laughs> Well, so what is your hope with this book? Like, you know, what what do you want your readers to take away from it? You know, oh, at the question. end of, when you're yeah. when they're done with it, what what is your hope as an author that they would take away from it? I hope I guess for all readers, I hope they feel like it was time well spent, you know, it's kind of a fun page turner, hopefully. Yeah. Um and then for girls, it's interesting. I have a female protagonist and I re I've received all these trade reviews, which are professional reviews by Publishers Weekly and School Library Journal and Booklist, and they're very complimentary of the action and et cetera. But then they tend to always finish with a phrase akin to, as long as you can suspend your disbelief, mm. which is interesting only because okay. when they describe characters, spy or action thrillers with teen protagonists who are boys or male, mm -hmm. they use the, they claim the same things and then don't add that in. Really? So it's pretty significantly like there's a pretty strong disparity between whether or not they use the phrase suspension of disbelief with female protagonists, action heroes and male protagonists as action heroes. So it's been really interesting to see yeah. like the sexism in this genre sure, yeah. kind of unfold and almost <laughs> the sexism in publishing kind of unfold before my eyes. So on That's one hand, I feel yeah. super defensive that it's a teen spy thriller. So obviously you have to suspend your disbelief. It's kind of like a no brainer. Right. Kids don't usually engage in the spy world right. on any real basis. Um, but to have it pointed out only when females are the protagonists and not when the males are the protagonists is kind of an interesting counter, I guess. It's interesting yeah. to see. But so I, I suppose what I'm saying is at when female readers 
read my character and she has these extreme skills and obviously it's not realistic but it's fun and I have her be particularly skilled in many things for a reason Mm -hmm. I hope the girls see their own skills as making them powerful and they shouldn't be ashamed of them and shouldn't shirk all their talents right they should embrace them yeah and there's a reason my girl is in a hyper reality because it is a little extreme to be you know so good at so many things at the same time Girls are good at many things and girls are so good at so many things and they might not be skills that you can quantify as Mm -hmm. skiing or piano playing or playing the violin, but there are other skills that girls have and they can possess multiple skills and be good at a variety of things and be very good at those things. And I think oftentimes we treat girls like they can't be good at so many things. Yeah. And so I hope the girls just see them, see themselves wanting to embrace their own special talents and yeah not be ashamed of them and be bold. What's interesting is when you say that, it's almost kind of like how your your parents raised you to get out and explore and be creative right. and and again, you know, expand on your talents and oh, this I love and that. that. You know, and I'm kind of seeing that connection here. And That's here you are, this book that. is kind of doing the same thing. That's right. what you hope these, you know, especially the girls walk away with like, hey, you guys can do anything. Right. You know, expand, do whatever you put your mind to kind of thing. I, I think love that's that. cool. That's a great comparison. Yeah. I'll owe my mom that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give credit to mom for yes, that, right? Yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, if someone wanted to get the book, um, who's listening here, and what would be the best way to go about that? Because I know you went with a publisher and I'm sure it's yeah, everywhere. So it's but. everywhere. But I mean, I always encourage people first to go with your local bookstore. Okay. So like here in Salt Lake, I know the King's English bookshop has them, okay. Frost Books, the Children's Hour. Um, and then wherever you're listening, local bookstores. Um, there could be, And the reason I say that is they are the ones who support authors. They support them via, okay. you know, um, all the debut platforms and they have them on for interviews and they really give back to authors. Okay. And so, and if you can't go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Target, right. um, it's available on Amazon. It, as of today, I know that they're back up to date with the stock. So hopefully it's back okay. in stock fully. But yeah, if you can support your local bookstore and yeah. if not, I mean, it's available everywhere. So Yeah, I like that. I've never heard of it uh, that way, said that way, that the local book- bookstores will do more supportive things for the author. 100%. They right. support you. They encourage you. They... It's not that they advertise for you, but they they interact with you in a way that yeah. enables you to really tell your story and to share your story. Mm. And so they like do that. they do give back to authors immensely. Right. And so I always Whereas like, like to a, support them first. Yeah. Right. Like it were as Amazon, it's more of you're you're one of a billion books on there, uh-huh. and it's exactly. just and the bookseller yeah. has they're yeah. not passionate about you or your genre. Right. Whereas the booksellers of the indies really care about books and telling stories. Yeah. So. What was uh, your greatest moment in writing this book? That's a great question. <laughs> I will say there was a special moment when I, so I have four daughters and I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about this this time or last time, <laughs> but we, uh, I know, can't I, keep it straight. Can't keep it straight. So <laughs> I have four daughters and my husband, I started writing cause we were living, uh, I was living away from home, but we were in Kentucky for my husband's residency for four years and then came to Utah for his fellowship for another three. But I was home. I graduated college and I was not pursuing a graduate program because I didn't feel good about that with having strangers watch my baby and I was too paranoid. So sure. I stayed home and I was happy <laughs> with that decision. Yeah. But I found myself alone um, pretty much 95% of the nights and weekends. And I wrote for fun because it was interesting and I loved it. 
but I never pursued, as I said earlier, I never pursued yeah. publication. It wasn't really yeah. on my radar. I just wrote lots of books and lots of stories just for my own entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and TV wasn't entertaining <laughs> enough for me, I guess. Yeah. So I wrote and wrote. And I always said, I like to write because my children don't do anything I say, but my characters do everything I say. <laughs> so it was this you know, oh, sense okay. of control. Or sure, yeah. <laughs> so because I did that, I, I thought I would postpone publication until it just until I had a book done, until it felt right. And it, like I said, it wasn't really on my radar. And then when I finished this particular book, Girl From Nowhere, and I felt like it was, I'd reached a point where I, it was as far as I could take it without maybe an editor or with someone. I just, I knew it was ready. Mm-hmm. And then I um, got an agent and then we went on to publish. But I had my kids home and I loved having, I loved being a stay-at-home mom. It was really, I loved, I cherished it. And when I, received the offer from Bloomsbury we'd been on a we'd been on a vacation my husband and I and so we came back from vacation on like a Wednesday uh-huh. and it was September and we went straight from the airport to the school pickup and it was the first day because I'd been on vacation we left the first yeah. day of school so I'd been like 10 days and I picked up my girl daughters from school and it was the first day all four of them had been in school oh, okay. so it was like my first day where I had I mean I'd been on an airplane for 10 hours but it was theoretically my first day having my kids all in school right. and that was the day I received the offer from Bloomsbury to publish Wow! so for me it was like it came full circle that there's yeah. a time and a place and I'd felt a little bit self-conscious that I hadn't pursued publication earlier because I had finished stories sure but I just didn't want to be under the pressure of a deadline or with under the pressure of publishing if I was home with my kids because that was mm-hmm. my priority and I was com- I was confident in my decision to make that my priority and then it was just such a tender mercy to have it in the day that like they're all in school and I've got, I thought I'd have time. I don't have time. Turns out, turns right. out it's a facade that moms have all this time <laughs> when you kids go to school. But at I the know. time, yeah, <laughs> it was such a sweet moment to have that of all days be the day that I received this publishing sure, offer. Yeah. So it was kind of fortuitous and That's very cool. I felt like it was the right, it had been the right decision all along to wait. And I'm so glad I did. So. That's awesome. And that was uh, last September 2018, for those who are asking. Okay. So it's about, from as a debut fiction author, it's about 18 months to two years between the time you sign, between the time you sign with a publisher right. and the time you publish. Yeah. Because there's a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- thank you for sharing. That's really cool. And uh, I can imagine how great that felt in that moment, you know? Yeah, it was you a know, great, it was a great Kind of that satisfaction, like, hey, I'm, I've kind of, I've done it. Well, you know? it was kind of like, oh, I did make the right choice. I thought I maybe yeah. second guess yourself, but really <laughs> it was the right choice. Yeah. So. Well, you come across as a very confident person. Oh, <laughs> it's a twin <laughs> you, thing. <laughs> you laugh. Yeah. Is it a twin thing? Maybe, I guess. So. Why, why do you say that? <laughs> because no one else can hurt you. You have your twin. It's like, there's no, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's not that I'm confident. I would say you always have a, like a defender protector. Like our husbands always joke, it doesn't matter if one twin's wrong or right, they'll always defend each other. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Exactly, yeah. There's a sense of like, <laughs> she's my shield. So you don't feel like, I feel less vulnerable Yeah. in life because I have a twin. Interesting. So I don't know if I'd call it confidence. I would maybe call well, it na- naivety i don't know <laughs> no i i mean i use the word confident just i mean you come across as very confident very well spoken oh, and again i think it it goes back i always go back to that's why i love talking about where people have come from and what they mm. go what did they go through and right and that's usually where you can kind of see where these things start to form and you know that. it sounds like you had really good parents who were really trying to teach you to believe in yourself mm-hmm. and to move forward and do the things that you love to do and yeah right. you know 
So it's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And you know, it's funny. My parents could not be, like I said, they were divorced when I was very young. They could not uh-huh. be more different. But collecti- <laughs> collectively, collectively, they taught us what we needed to yeah. hear, I think. So. Sure. Well, if if you could, you know, people who are listening to this right now, if you could, you know, give them a challenge to do. Oh, I like that. Yeah. If there's a challenge that you could give our listeners that, you know, whether they want to write a book or whether they're struggling or whether they're trying to believe in themselves or maybe they're struggling with kindness or lack of kindness, you know, what, what's a challenge you could maybe give our listeners? So as a writer, I'm going to circle back to writing. Okay. And the Great. reason I say that is I don't know that you have to be a good, talented or competent writer to write anything. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt as though putting words on a page enables me to see them more clearly. Mm. And I've thrown out thousands and thousands and thousands of, I'm, I'm sitting here now with a legal pad with, you know, line notes and I've. I've gone through thousands of these in my life, sure. if not tens of thousands, which makes me super wasteful. <laughs> but the reason is I write things down. And so I guess yeah. my challenge is to not just think about things or talk them through, but take the time to write something down and particularly only positive things because yeah, how do, how do I make this an actual challenge? I'm thinking I'm, I'm ruminating over this. I challenge you to write down only the things you're good at and like mm. nothing else. Just write down what are your skills and capabilities. Like we talk about my character who can like speak right. all these languages and climb, sure. climb, you know, <laughs> climb walls and, you know, all these crazy things that obviously most people couldn't do. Um, but I like to consider that a hyper reality and yet we exist in reality. And right. I challenge your reader, your listeners to spend the time to physically write down all the things they are good at. And all those skills that might not be, we used to call them talent show skills because I'm a terrible singer and I've, I'm so tone deaf. So I always feel like I can never go on a talent show because I can neither sing nor dance nor any of that. <laughs> um, so I think we consider talents in that regard. But sure. skills, talents, whatever you want to call them, characteristics that, are, that you bring to the table, write them down and look at them and see for yourself how powerful that list is. Okay. That's my I love challenge. It. Great challenge. <laughs> No, I think that's fantastic. And I think focusing on the positives versus the negatives, because it'd be easy. It seems like it's easier that we always focus on the negative, you know? Right. And so I love that challenge and, and what have you on there. Um, if someone wanted to reach out to you to ask you a question or yeah. if, if there's a website you can refer them to, is there what would be the sure, best way to absolutely. do that? So I'm, I, I'm on Instagram often um, at Tiffany underscore Rosenhan or my website, TiffanyRosenhan.com. Or just reach out to me via email, author at gmail.com. Right, and I can and give that just, all to you. I'm going to spell your last name just yeah. so people have it. It's R-O-S-E-N-H-A-N. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and um, I love to hear from readers and questions. Please, just yeah. reach out. Yeah, so. please do. And, and I encourage everyone to go get the book, well, you know. You. And uh, <laughs> it sounds fantastic. And, and I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to oh, come well, for share your me. thoughts and your feelings and, and, and a part of your story with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for, you know allowing me to be here. Absolutely. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, Another amazing person with a great story. And thank you for joining us. And uh, I want to thank Tiffany again. And I want to thank all of you for believing in me. Please share this with your family and friends. and, And then, you know, I can't wait to do this again soon. So until next time.